you have something in your life where someone sort of tells you this is the story and it's about questioning that like does it have to be right like do mm -hmm. I have to go to a nine-to-five job like do I not get to spend time and uh, can I create a life where I do a podcast with my husband <gasps> maybe I can right mm -hmm. like it's just like deciding and asking yourself the right questions instead of just taking everything as matter of fact Welcome friends, we are your hosts, Sandy and Wade, baby best friends turned husband and wife and business partners. This podcast is for the dreamers, the movers and shakers, and those who seek to attract their dream life. Strap in, getting magnetic in three, two, one. Like attracts like. If you see it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand. You just decide what it's going to be, who you're going to be, how you're going to do it. And then from that point, the universe is going to get out your way. This moment in time, this is your time to rise. All righty. We are super excited for today's guest. I got the pleasure of meeting this magical human being in person a couple of weeks ago at this amazing women's empowerment conference. Uh, it was a two-day event um, in downtown Denver. And she's an absolute light. And I loved her story on stage. I was so inspired by it. I was so moved by it. And I was just telling her this before we hit record, but I, it's so easy to look at her. First of all, she's like, so beautiful. She's extremely stylish. Like everything about her is like, whoa, like mom, like cool. mom goals, yeah. like, wow. And I was like, wow. Like, and then she starts talking and she has this amazing accent. We wish you guys will hear in just a moment, but this woman is so inspiring. She's a lawyer turned master certified personal coach. She's a keynote speaker. She's a podcast. She's an author. She's another book coming out um, later this year. And really her whole messaging and like one of the biggest things I took away from her whole speech was to not subscribe to the popular opinions of like the masses and really like be, mm. be okay with asking why, but why, but why, and really creating your own narrative and your own truth. She's incredibly inspiring. So Melissa Wiggins, welcome to Getting Magnetic. Ooh, I'm so excited. And also how cool is the name of your podcast? Like Getting Magnetic? Yes, please. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. On my calendar, I was like, yes to that podcast. Like, I love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> On that note, and I remember Sandy came home. She goes, babe, I met so many good people and a few people, but this Melissa woman, oh my gosh, you got to meet her. We got to, maybe we'll interview her on the podcast or something. Like we got to share her story with our people in the world. And it was really cool. And on the topic of, and so I wasn't at the event, so I'm excited to hear, Sandy came home and gave me like the best paraphrase of your story, but I'm excited to hear the story unfold as the listeners do. Um, but on the topic of the title of the show, Getting Magnetic, Melissa, what does getting magnetic mean to you before we start on anything, any questions, your story, anything else? Getting magnetic for me, I think like when you start to learn to love yourself, then you start to trust yourself. And when you do that, you can be magnetic just organically. Like it's just natural, right? Like I, I feel like I have, I am magnetic because I am myself. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, so I'm true. Exactly who I'm supposed to be right now, right? Like it took 39 years to get there, but like I'm exactly who I'm supposed to be in, in an unapologetic way, right? Not in an asshole way. Sorry, I don't know if you cuss on here. Not yeah. Like, right? Not trying to be like that, but in a way that I just am so comfortable with myself and I have done a lot of work to like myself. Like I like who I am. 
And so when you start to like who you are, you just instantly become magnetic because people can tell when you love yourself. Mm -hmm. They just can't. That is good. That's been a common theme, actually, of discovering who you truly are, because that is when you're truly and most genuinely and authentically magnetic when people, right, not only do they see you know who you are, but you also love who you are. I love I love that answer. And what we do here on Getting Magnetic is we have like themes for the month. And so, you know, like last month was last month was community, right? Yeah, community. Okay, building. so this month for September, our whole theme is like quantum leaps. And I thought, wow, Melissa would be great for this because your story, I feel like even just the story of your son, which I hope, you know, you'll tell that whole story. The when you found out, I don't want to give away the story, but like what you turned that scenario into and how it's now like helped so many other people. And that's like a massive quantum leap. I want people to hear that story and how you've turned so much like pain into purpose and all that. So I'd love for you to just start sharing your story and essentially share what you did on stage that day. Cause it was so moving. Um, okay. So, um, about my son, Cannon. So when I was 29 years old, I was 38 weeks pregnant with twins. I went from like this tiny little, like 110 pounds, five foot two women to 198 pounds. I was (laughs) massive. People would walk towards me and they would like put up two or three fingers to ask if I had triplets (laughs) inside it. Okay. I I was not a cute or attractive pregnant person. Let's just put that out there. When when I was at the conference and I saw that cute girl who like she was pregnant and dressed in all these cute outfits, I was like, I never looked like that like respect (laughs) like respect I did not and uh, my son Cannon was 20 months old so I was about to have three boys under the age of two so imagine right like three boys under the age of two I'm living in a foreign country to me at the time right I'm from Scotland I'd moved to the US I didn't really know anybody here And my husband is a trial attorney and he just travels all the time and still does and so I was on my own a lot and I, um, he started like limping. And so we go to the hospital and they say, you know, we're going to have to put a cast on this kid. We're going to have to like cut out this infection in his knee. And like, imagine me, like three kids under two and one of them's going to have a cast on while I'm breastfeeding twins. Like, no. So I just like started thinking this is just like the worst time of my life. Like, I can't believe how crazy and terrible and awful this is. And so we're there at the hospital, we're about to do the surgery, and the doctor says, you know, I don't think it is osteomyelitis, I want to do a myriad of different tests. So then like all night long, Cannon is like, I'm on a wheelchair, imagine my big belly, Cannon is hugging around my belly, and they're transporting us around the hospital doing all these different scans all night long, trying to figure out what is up with this kid. And eventually they found out that he had stage four neuroblastoma cancer and he had cancer like basically head to toe. And so therein began this whirlwind of this 29 year old who I like to think when I think about her, um, she was very nice to everybody. And um, she was the quintessential people pleaser who just always was like perky and go with the flow and whatever everybody wanted. And everything was just sort of like, if you say this, that's fine. Whatever you want. Um, My husband would be like, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, whatever you want for dinner. Where do you want to go to the movie? Whatever you want to see. Like I was very, I was, I don't want to say I was meek because I don't think I've ever been meek, but I wasn't who I am today. 
and that experience of him being diagnosed um in the beginning I remember saying to Michael okay well we're gonna get a second opinion or we're gonna talk to these different people but I don't want to like upset the doctors like I don't want the doctors to be mad at me that I'm gonna go get a second opinion I remember my husband looking at me and being like who cares like this is our child's life and it was almost like someone just slapped me in the face and was like yeah that's right like this is my job like this is like my number one purpose on earth is to like advocate for this child who can't talk Mm. like he has no voice he has no words at that time Mm. and and so then began three and a half years of treatment for Cannon, and we treated him all over the United States. Like he had surgery at Memorial Sloan Catering, he had radiation at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, just all these different treatments. And throughout the process of that, like I shared at Ben Powered, um, a lot of doctors didn't agree with the things we were doing for Cannon. They wanted us to stay and have treatment locally, and they didn't want us to travel to different institutions. And now I can understand some of the why behind that. But at the time, it was like always just trying to find what is best for him and really just questioning everything. And that's what I talk about and unfollow, right? My new book is questioning everything with excitement instead of questioning it like, what the doctors told me, which was, you know, you have a 50-50 chance that Cannon will be alive in five years. Like kids with neuroblastoma, like they don't, they don't make it. And if they do, um, they usually relapse and die. I mean, I literally heard those words. And so I was like, well, what if like, that's not my kid's story, you know? And I think so often we do that, right? For everybody that's listening, you might be like, well, I don't have a kid with cancer. Okay, but you have something, right? You have something in your life where someone sort of tells you, this is the story. And it's about questioning that, like, does it have to be, right? Like, do Mm -hmm. I have to go to a nine to five job? Like, do I not get to spend time and can I create a life where I do a podcast with my husband? (gasps) Maybe I can, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like deciding and asking yourself the right questions instead of just taking everything as matter of fact. And I think that's really hard in a medical situation because we're trained subconsciously to believe what we're told from medical doctors Mm -hmm. but I also feel like there's a thread of that with everything in life don't you like there's a thread Mm -hmm. of like we believe everything our parents say and then we believe everything our teachers say and we then we believe the doctors and the whole premise of the book is unfollowing things that we have been told either by society or subconsciously or by our parents And not in a way that is like, I'm a rebel and I'm going to do everything opposite of everyone, but really just questioning, is this right for me? Mm. Is this the thing I should be following? Or is this something that at this point in my life I should unfollow? And I'm going to do that by questioning everything with excitement of like hope and the future and thinking about what could be instead of like what we're told it is. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So not buying into the narrative that someone else is telling you and being like, that doesn't, that might be the story you typically see, but that doesn't have to be my story. Yeah. Wow. So then, okay. So, um, Cannon went through, I think you said three and a half years, right? So then what happened from there? So, um, he is, uh, um, I always feel like I have to say this because I think sometimes people are like waiting to hear, but Cannon is alive. There was one time I did a keynote speech and I forgot to say that. And people came to me at the end and they were like, I'm so sorry about your son. And I'm like, damn it. I <laughs> tell everyone that he's alive. Yes. He is a middle <laughs> schooler and he is 
Um, mm -hmm. He deals with a lot as a, as a survivor of pediatric cancer. There's a lot that we don't talk about. And a, a lot of that is, you know, his personal business now as a almost teenager. Mm -hmm. so I don't really go into that too much anymore. But during the process of that, what we realized was that only 4% of the NIH's budget for pediatric for cancer research went to pediatric cancer. So um, that's crazy, right? The other 96% goes to adults. And, um, and a lot of research for adults is obviously funded privately also. So we started like lobbying at Washington, D.C. We got, uh, I actually flew up to D.C., and I met with a lobbyist firm to find out if they could help me. And um, and then they gave me like their fees. And I was like, well, I, I guess I will just have to do this myself. And then mm -hmm. they called me the next day and they said, we had um, an emergency board meeting and we're going to be your lobbyists for free. And so wow. we have had them ever since. So we have them. They've helped us rewrite legislation to try to get more funding for pediatric cancer. I didn't share that on the stage, but that's another part of what our uh, nonprofit does so our nonprofit is cannonball kids cancer and we fund research now all, all over the world actually we have research in switzerland wow yeah that you're we're talking about that so we have research in switzerland canada canada 26 states in the united states um scotland so yeah like different countries and there are space for close to 700 kids to go on clinical trials because we've raised a lot of money and um, we get to give it to researchers who are doing innovative research. So everything we do is always about changing the status quo mm -hmm. because I don't know if you're aware of this, but children actually get the same type of chemotherapy and treatment as adults. It's just basically watered down to their weight. And so if you think about that, an adult's body is organ and, and it, all their organs inside are fully developed, whereas a child's are not. And so the impact on a heart and a lung and all the different organs when they're not grown is, well, you know, they just, the, the long-term effects are just terrible. And a lot of the kids need heart transplants and get secondary cancers because of the treatment. Wow. Yeah. So, so many nuggets from that at first kind of questioning things not to be just just to question them but to be like I, you know where I bring that into is I realize if I wanted a different life I needed to move different I needed to look at what is everyone doing if I want that typical like average like everyone's life I'll just do that and that was the most of my life like go to school get get a good job get high education etc climb the corporate ladder etc but realize if I want different, if I want a different life, I got to move different. I got to ask different questions. I got to question the norms and everything. And I feel I see that in your story. And then, oh my goodness, the ultimate story of where your mess can become your message. And Sandy and I say that a lot and it's empower that a lot. But for those listening out there, could you like you already did through your story, but just empower that concept of how your mess can become your message, how it happened in in your life and how whoever's whatever people are going through right now, maybe they're in the mess where they can come out of it. And there's a message there and they can kind of create a sense of purpose or their purpose or whatever it is like through your story. Yeah, so I have a like, a, I, and I have a different opinion to that to a lot of people, because I think that sometimes there is a lot of pressure on people nowadays to make their mess into a, a method, right? Mm -hmm. and to, like, this is what it has to be. 
And this is how I look at it in the pediatric cancer world. Like you have been to hell and back with your child. And then like, there's this sense of like, okay, now for the rest of my life, I must do things in the pediatric cancer world because that's mm. the world I was placed in. Mm-hmm. And I don't subscribe to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was the CEO of our nonprofit for like five years. And then I decided I wanted to do something else. And it's funny that you say that because a lot of people had a very hard time with me moving into just being on the governing board, just being on the scientific advisory board and no longer being the quote unquote face of the organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but when I built it, I told my husband, I said, if the foundation does not survive because one person is a part of it, then you didn't build it correctly, right? Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that the truth? Like when we're building things, like if if your podcast or the work that you do doesn't work unless you're a part of it, then I don't think we're doing it right, like, right? Mm-hmm. Like our, my work has to be able to work whether I'm in the face of it or not. And Mm so I um, stepped into this other role of keynote speaking and and into coaching and programs because that's what lit my heart up. Mm -hmm. And so I always am encouraging of people to be very careful with their message, right? Because when you have it, it can exhaust you, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you have been a victim of sexual abuse and for the rest of your life, you feel like that's what I've got to talk about. That's what Mm -hmm. I've got to do. I'm like, no, 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 no. We can make money other ways and then just write the checks because that's Mm -hmm. what I do now, right? Like Mm -hmm. I like to write the checks to Cannibal Kids Cancer. That was like a part of my goal. I want to have a table at every gala. I want to have a table for my company every event. Like it doesn't have to be that you must talk about that for the rest of your life because sometimes we it's just too painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So what you almost even I'm what I'm gathering from that is, yeah, the message doesn't have to be the exact thing or it doesn't have to be forever. It, but it it serves some purpose in a way where, go you know, for your example, going through hell and back, but like it builds and almost molds you into this person. And maybe in the beginning you are doing all the things for in your example pediatric cancer and the face of it and everything but also it, it you know your path like it almost guided and led you into other things into speaking and it now you're the one writing the checks and sitting at the gala so i love that because i haven't really heard about it talked in in that way a lot of ways is like it can be your thing but it could be a chapter where it's your thing where your mess directly becomes your message but then you might be guided and led to something different, something in a different way to serve. But you probably learned a lot of things along the way and became the person you need to become to go step into that next chapter. So and that's life, right? Life is one. We're writing the book of life and there's chapters. It's not just one one chapter the whole way. There's chapters the whole way that? through. Like to everybody that's listening, how fun is that? Right. Because I think so often we think of life and like, Okay. And, and again, we're trained to that, right? Like we're trained, like I was like, okay, become a lawyer. And then I'm going to be a partner of a law firm. Like this is my path, right? Like this is, and it, and I'm, I've had like seven careers and I'm not even 40 yet. So like, I don't even know what the next decade looks like, but that can be fun and exciting. And I think so often we spend a lot of energy thinking about, well, what will I do in 10 years? And what will I do? Well, I always do this. And I think like the questions need to be more about like, where is this values aligning in me? And is this like lighting me up? Am I excited every day? And I've been to more kids funerals than I have adults. I have mm-hmm. watched so many parents bury their children, like literal <sighs> husbands that are 
this size and watch them sob and cry. And eventually that pained me so much every day that I was like, I, I can't keep doing that. And also be a fun mom. Now being mm-hmm. a fun mom is a part of my life goal. I am the funnest mom ever, but that requires a lot from me. And Mm -hmm. it requires that I do a type of job that lights me up enough that when I'm in the car picking those kids up, that I'm ready to have a party with them, right? Like I'm ready to go. I'll go fish. I'll go swim. I'll do the things. But if I'm not, if I'm taking from myself all day long to the point of where it's too much. And that's why I'm always like, when people want to go into certain things where their pain has been, I'm always just like very deliberate about like sort of explaining that piece of like, it can be a chapter, but like, don't stay in it too long just because you feel like you have to. So good. And I think about how even like your book that's coming out on follow, like so much of that, like that book probably wouldn't exist had you not gone through this personal life experience. Right. So it's like, that still is part of your message, even though it's not directly you, you know, being the face of your nonprofit and all that. It's like, it's still molded into the work that you're doing today, like over a decade later. Um, Something else you shared on stage that day that I was like, I was like, wow, this story just keeps, this just keeps going. Like this woman's just incredible. Will you share about um, your adoption story? Sure. Yeah. So um, I always wanted to adopt. Um, So when I first met my husband, it was like one of those things that like I knew like he was going to be my husband. So like we had to have this chat like real fast because like this was like a deal breaker for me. And I remember being like so nervous, like I was probably dating him like a month. And I remember being so (laughs) nervous to be like, oh, I'm going to like tell this guy like I'm adopting. And if you adopt, like we're, we're done. We've been together for like 20 years now. Um, and he was like, oh my God, yeah, adoption's amazing. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Like, and I was like, oh, okay. That was easier than I thought it was going to be. But then, you know, I had Canon and then I got pregnant with twins. So then I was going to have three kids under two. And then when he got sick, it just sort of delayed that dream. And so I talked on stage about like those someday boxes that sort of like set on this like metaphorical like shelf for us that's like, and I... I kept having this dream and it was driving me nuts, Sandy and Wade. Like it was literally annoying the crap out of me. And every night I would like wake up and I would be like, oh my God, this freaking dream. And this dream was like of me adopting this little girl. And it just wouldn't go out of my brain. Just kept coming, kept in my brain, kept in my brain. And um eventually like I looked up at the sky and I was just like fine god like I'll call the adoption agency but like I didn't feel ready and so I talk about that in the book that idea of unfollowing like perfectionism and following like starting before you're ready Mm. because we always are going to get ready right like I had certain things that had to be done in order to get ready to um adopt Charlie and so uh I just said to God okay just send me like a massive sign though to tell me like who's supposed to be my kid because like I'll just adopt like I'll adopt everybody like I'm gonna end up having like you know 10 kids in this house um and they called me and they said you know we have a little girl and 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 she was in Colombia and um she was born on October 14th and I said she was born when 
and they said she was born October 14th and October 14th is my birthday. Mm. Wow. I believe was like my sign from God because birthdays are very special in my country. Like they're a very, very big deal. Um, And so, but then they followed up with, oh, also this child is going to need a surgery where we open her up from ear to ear. Her eye is higher on one side, lower on the other. She has craniosynostenosis and she'll need several surgeries and lots of care and like it just didn't matter right like it was just I I knew and so I because of my work with Cannonball Kids Cancer I know lots of neurosurgeons those are like my people because I visited (laughs) them in their hospital and their research like and um and they looked over her file and they were like oh she can be in and out in a week and so like don't like stress about it so they So she had two surgeries when we got her back and they opened her up ear to ear twice and she's perfect and no medical issues whatsoever. And she is the boss of our whole family. So (laughs) and look at that coming back too, where your network of neurosurgeons and your world from prior and, you know, the mess from prior coming back to serve in some way, like you had this dream, this intuition, this God wink, this reoccurring vision of like I'm mothering a, a daughter and then the October 14th birthday and then you know all these neurosurgeons and like, like there probably, couldn't probably have been a better adoptive family yeah. for her and that's what I told my husband so my husband's thing was like when I told him he was like oh but didn't we agree babe that like we wouldn't take a child with lots of medical things because you know because of canon stuff and I was like but who is more perfect than us mm-hmm. for this child? Like no one's mm-hmm. going to adopt. She had been in the orphanage for two whole years and not been yeah. adopted. Wow. Two whole years from 19 days old where she was weaned off of drugs that she was born. You know, she was born addicted to all kinds of drugs. She was weaned off at 19 days old until two years old. She lived with 50 kids in that orphanage and she never left. She never got adopted. Why? Because that's terrifying to the average family. You'd be like, what? She has to be an hot. They're going to open her up ear to ear. They're going to what? No, I'm not taking that kid on. Who's taking that kid on? Not many mm-hmm. people. But I said wow. the exact same thing you did, Sandy, which was, we got this. We know yeah. the girls. We, we, we've left the ICU at Arnold Palmer. And so when we were there, it was like, all we knew all the nurses. We knew all the doctors. They took care of Charlie. Everyone knew Charlie's story. And it was like, easy. easy. Wow. They're like, here comes Melissa. She's back. <laughs> Wait, is her name Charlie? Yes, that's my grandfather's name. Oh, that is, this is crazy synchronicity because my grandfather's name is Charlie and we had talked about like how we love the name Charlie for a girl Mm -hmm. now we have two girls Cameron and Cove so we don't have a Charlie but like and we drew it back to like and it's more of a boy name it's my grandpa's name but it's a cool girl love it for girl wow that is some sort of sign right there but I also love that like thinking about coming back to how you were so equipped to one bring charlie in to help her and now what whatever impact and positive ripple charlie goes out to make in the world like that comes back to you know you and your husband your experience and and canon and everything it's it's wild how it's all intertwined and full circle yeah it is so crazy and i have to say i love charlie for a girl name so definitely use it if you're gonna have another girl it's so (laughs) good if we have another one should we just make that pact now yeah yeah (laughs) it's just like so 
it like is so hard and mm-hmm. it's just like and you know imagine she is a girl last girl of three older brothers uh-huh. imagine this girl there is nobody messing with that chick I'm telling <laughs> you I wouldn't mess with that chick no <laughs> I, I'm, this girl is there she is no not taking any but and she is so I'm not like one of those parents who's like my kid's so smart like I <laughs> Like, I'm really not. Like, you will never hear me say those words, except about Charlie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not, like, they moved her up a grade already. She's in, like, English is not even her first language. I'm just, wow. like, mystified by her. And I just, she was just so meant to be here. And, yeah, it's, she's the most beautiful, amazing child. Like, she just uh, phenomenal. I love it. If we have a third girl, can we name her Charlie? Yeah, let's make. We, it we're gonna name if if and when oh, we have a boy, it's gonna I be Crew. It. Oh, I and maybe it. we just do Charlie either way. Let's say we have a fourth. If it's a boy, it's Charlie. If it's a girl, it's Charlie. Deal. We'll we'll figure <laughs> that out. So good. We want to adopt too, though. That's something we've talked. And about. I went up to her after she got off stage, and I was like, "Wait, this is so crazy." Like I've always Wade and I have always had this feeling of that, and just full transparency. Like there is this like feeling like I know how much I love my biological children and I have this like feeling of like will they feel not as loved as my biological children and like this like limiting belief or this like I'm almost like well maybe you know maybe adoptions like I feel bad even saying this out loud but like for someone that maybe can't have a child like why would I take that on like this is just fear talking when they might have the opportunity to be loved by another family that where they don't feel as loved by me with my biological children does that make sense yeah and it's the thing is there's so many kids though that are just waiting so it's like, yeah. not like you're yeah. ever taking the opportunity away from anyone else period like end of story because all those kids in charlie's orphanage are waiting like mm-hmm. they're, they're still waiting it's yeah crazy i think of wow. i think of it as you have we have an opportunity to give a child a life maybe they they wouldn't have had the opportunity if we didn't adopt them to live. So yeah. for them, of course, is the priority. And then for us, it's almost this opportunity to grow because it's going to be so different, I assume. That's true. Than our biological children. So it's like, I feel like I and we will grow in ways and, ha- and have to learn things and things will just be different and because because it's not biological kids imagine the lesson to your kids i think about that all the time right wow I mean, true one of my children may not be able to um biologically conceive right and so we know that's from treatment and so imagine for him so mm. one day should that be his reality and i'm not calling it into reality but let's just see if it is um, that he has seen an adoptive child be zero different, zero different mm-hmm. discipline, zero different loved. Like it's, um, and I wow. think it's very normal to think, well, I love them the same or well, I might love her more. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's, I will say that. I'm like, I don't know. It could be yeah. more. It could be more. We'll just not tell the boys. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. It's wow. It's so crazy. Cause I think of it and I I'm still such in a fresh motherhood stage, right? Yeah, like yeah. we have two under two. We have a 21 month old and an 11 week old who you you met Cove, right? Um, And I I think it's this mindset of like, oh, I, we conceived them. I carried them. I've been nursing them. And then I feel like, wow, if we adopt, like I won't be able to have those same experiences with them. But it's like you said, it's, I love that. I didn't even ever think of that, but like the lessons that it's teaching my, my other children, Mm -hmm. showing them like how 
like selfless and loving and kind that like there's already so much love in our family, but we can always welcome more. So mm-hmm. oh. and I love that for me, like that's the biggest thing. It's for what they what it has taught those guys. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Right now they have a sister who is not the same race as them, right? Like she looks different than us, even though I tell her she's my twin all the time. She's like, we're not twins, mom. I'm like, we're twins. We're twins. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. Wow. I love all these, like how we started this with so much of your like personal, like life, family stories. I'd love to pivot. um, So our listeners can get to know you more on like a professional, um, like in that world, like tell us more. So when, when you first came to the U S like first talk, how that happened, that must've been, I'm assuming it's cause you met your husband. I don't know. Like walk us through how you came here and what you started out in your career and how you've gotten to where you are. Sure. So I started my career out as an attorney and um, I love to always share this just because I feel like it's very hopeful to lots of people. I, I grew up in government housing, you know, my, my house was one bedroom upstairs apartment and um, I now live in a 5,000 square foot home with a basketball court and a swimming pool and live a very different life than I did. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying it for hope for people that listen and think, I think often we have this limited belief of where, like where we come from is where we have to stay. And I just don't buy into it. Like, absolutely not. Right. The same with like things we're taught growing up, like, I'm unfollowing many of those things, right? And deciding to follow other things. So I was told by my parents, you know, just study, study, study. And if you do, you will live very differently than we did. And they were such pushers of my education. And I wasn't like, um, I'm not a naturally smart person. I am a very good study and I can study and learn anything, but it doesn't like always come very quickly to me. So I spent a lot of my life like really studying, like really, really hard. And then I, um, I graduated law school and I worked as a lawyer for five years in Scotland. And when I was, um, in law school, I had like three jobs, obviously, to pay for it because my parents couldn't afford to pay for college and all the other things. And so um, I was working behind a bar and I was serving um, whiskeys to all of these American men. And one of those American men is now my husband. Oh, my <laughs> so God. That is, that is why I ended up in the U.S., but I was very career focused. And so because I was very career focused, I didn't move to the US until five years later. So we actually had a long distance relationship for five years. So I would come over here in the summer when I had time off classes, and then we would fly to each other every six weeks back and forth. Um, Wow, five years, because I just well, one, I wasn't sure about America. (laughs) And two, I just like I I loved my job and my career I was a commercial litigator. And I just I I loved it. And my my goal was to be a partner in the law firm. And so it's very difficult to decide to move but eventually Michael was like um we should get married or something like I feel Mm -hmm. like there's like a you know next step here and so we did wow we did long distance not different countries but we did California to Boston for a few years and that was really hard I can only imagine like different countries and even bigger time difference like wow that's that's crazy and it's so I didn't find it that hard (laughs) Oh, you didn't? No, and I and I think it's because I am like um 
I don't, I don't want to say I'm like fiercely independent, but I, I feel like it gave me like the best of both worlds. Like I really wanted to focus on my career. And so I was in the office first. I was in the office last. Like there really wasn't that much space mm. for like, and I feel like allowing myself that time to do that. But also I had this beautiful love for this man. Like it just, it felt good. Like yeah. it felt good to me. I love too, and I want the listeners to really hear this. Like you were obviously like coming from what you came from, you were like, okay, I want to have a different story. And so you're very focused on your studies. You're very focused on this dream of becoming a lawyer and all the things, but you also got to pay for it. So you get this side job that might, some people might let their ego not do that. They might be like, no, I only have to stay in my lane. I only can work in the office. I would never get a serving job. I would never wait tables. I would never do this. I would never do that but it led you to your husband and now your beautiful children and now your whole life. Like, had you not made that decision to apply for that job or say yes to pouring whiskey for the American dudes, <laughs> you probably wouldn't have the life you have today. Isn't that so crazy to think it's about? Crazy. It's so crazy. Like if I wasn't working that night, so crazy. I know. Wow. It's really wild. Like, wow. Divine intervention. Okay. And then from there you, you move here. So when was that? When, what, what year did you move to the U S? I moved to the U.S. 2010. Okay. Um, I married like within like two months. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like when you obviously when you come here also like I wasn't going to do like there was different ways you could do fiance visa, all these different visas. Like we knew we were, we were getting married. So like for us, we we're just like, okay, let's just go to the courthouse and just, you know, tick this box. And I'm very practical. So <laughs> we, we got married and like then it was like, okay, time for babies. Wow. So when you moved here, did you continue like staying in law or what did you do career-wise then? Yeah. So when I first got here, I actually started working with, uh, I actually set up my own company and I started working um, with a law firm who was helping people in different countries buy businesses here. So I oh. sort of helped with like the business plan and the structure and all because I did my business law was my first degree. Um, before like law school and so um, so that's what I did and that was like my first sort of big dip into like entrepreneur life and that was like 2010. Wow okay and so tell the listeners like what how they can be connected with you now how do you today fast forward it's 2023 obviously we heard a lot of your story and like you have a ton of wisdom and life experience and all the things. How do you serve people today? How do our listeners that might want to work with you or be connected to you or stay in touch? Like how can you serve them? Sure. So, um, so now I am a master certified professional life coach. So during COVID, I actually got like all my credentials. Um, I obviously keynote speech, which is what you saw, but mm -hmm. I have retreats. So uh, one of the things I did and one of my goals when I moved to Florida was I always wanted to have a lake house. So I really much believe in visualization. And I know you guys do because I saw your little post-its on the wall and I call mm -hmm. it um, the power of the post-it. And I mm -hmm. have little branded post-it notes with my like company logo in pink. And I put on this post-it like years and years and years ago. And I always write it like it's already done. So mm -hmm. I wrote, I own a magical lake house and I have my post-it. And so I just like kept searching for a lake house, like Georgia, South Carolina area. And so now I am the proud owner of a magical lake house. And that is what it is called on Instagram, if anyone wants to look at it. But mm -hmm. I host uh, women's retreats there. So my next retreat will actually be in November, November 8th to 12th. 
Um, wow. And I also do um, a six month container of like, a, I call it a coaching intensive where we do, it's called Empowered Life. We do weekly group calls. And then I also do one-on-one as well as there's a program. Um, and I do one-on-one coaching too. So I do a lot of coaching and a lot of speaking. So that's how I serve my people. Wow. Amazing. And tell us a little bit more about your book and when it comes out, because it's coming out later this year, right? Yep. So the the book will come out November 27th. It's called Unfollow, Question Everything with Excitement. And it's really like a journey for the reader to go through all the different aspects of their life and decide and choose um, from a place of excitement about their life, what they want to question and how they want to question it. And so every chapter has prompts and work that you will do in order to like really question where you are in your life and sort of where you want to go. So it's wow. I'm very proud of it. It's my second book and it's definitely my best work. I'm really proud of it. Wow. Wow. And I love that it's coming out end of November because I'm really big on like the timing of things and what a great way to end out the year, right? Like for someone to really take inventory on like, okay, about to enter 2024, where am I at with my life? So to read that and to have it be interactive and self-reflect and really like work through that. Um, that sounds like a great read for December. We might have to, we might have to start a book club. Yeah. I love the concept. I love that if you guys did a book club for it. I'm going to encourage lots of people to do that because I do really feel like with the way the chapters are written, you know, you can decide like, hey, like for you guys, Sandy and Wade, like what are the topics and the things that you do that serve people? And maybe like one of the chapters is called unfollow work-life balance and follow work-life alignment mm-hmm. and I know that's kind of your life right like where mm-hmm. your life and your work and all the things it's like all here together and that's my life too mm-hmm. and I think when we focus on balance like we always feel like we're failing we always feel like we're not meeting meeting the mark but when we look at our life like work-life alignment where everything is like in there feeling good and based on our values and so there's a whole chapter and you can pick you know these are the chapters I want to work on right now this is the thing I'm going to unfollow diet culture or I'm going to unfollow divorce whatever it is right like there could be things yeah. that are at the end of the year you look at your life and you're like okay chapter 17 is for me right now you know and I sort of designed it that way because like you guys most people are very busy right like so I want it to be like very um sort of focused and intentional like with what you need specifically right now I so love amazing. it. What I'm picking up from it, like energetically, like this conversation is it's almost too like getting introspective on your life and okay, who am I and what stories do I tell myself from past experiences and childhood and everything? And what realizing too, like I grew up kind of in subsidized housing as well and not a ton. And so where did that serve me? I was then very driven to go make money and go get my master's in finance and all these things so I could learn money and make money because that was missing. But also, what do I what do I need to unfollow? Like some level of like childhood imprint period, like scarcity mindset or lack mindset around money. Like so evaluating like our journey, where did it serve us? Everything, but what do I need to unfollow or unsubscribe from that's not serving me anymore? Where do I need to like flourish and grow from and grow out of so I I'm I look forward to reading the book I'm excited so exciting. about it I'm excited for you guys to read it I think you're gonna love it and I you think- amaze me I I am always so energized being around fellow entrepreneurs that are multi-passionate you know like yeah when when you you're talking to someone that maybe you've just been 
you know, acquaintance with or friends with for a long time. So you stay in touch, but every conversation like, oh, what's new? Nothing. It's like, whew, this conversation's rough, right? <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> but like talking to someone like you, I'm like, wow, I feel like I could just keep peeling back the layers of this onion and there'd be more surprises and more surprises and we could just keep going and I could be like so what's next for you or what are you most excited for in life and you would have amazing answers to every single thing and we could go on a million tangents because you're just so fascinating and like it's just really amazing and I'm, I'm so proud of you it's so cool to like know you now and I hope I get to see you again I'm I'm sure you'll be at Fem Powered next year I'm no, I know I'm worried about my tickets for next year for Fame Powered for sure um, yes and yeah I'm we need to meet in person. I need to meet Melissa. Yeah, you now. might have yeah, to come to Fem Powered. I might have to come to Fem Powered. All right, I'll I'll put that on my board. I'll start visualizing it. A hundred percent. And then I'll be um uh, at Brooks event. One of the speakers, Elaine, that's in San Antonio, Texas, in January. But um, nice. So I love that for you. And you know, when I think about you, Sandy, I just think like you're just getting freaking started, Lassie. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I think about when I look at you and I saw you with your baby. I was like, yes, girl, because I have been there. I've breastfed all my babies until they were one. Like, and I, I've just been in that world where sometimes you're like, oh, I just feel kind of foggy sometimes and I feel like but it's like as like things start to like get easier with the kids like more of your brain comes back more of your brain comes back oh. you're like oh, I'm a machine now like <laughs> I, like I like can do like anything right like I feel oh. like that is the best part of being a mom like after you birth those babies and raise them and they're a little bit older you're like okay world like what's up here what's next like oh I love that story. I that is so empowering. That. Yeah, that we're definitely a little bit more of my brain back. Like I'm a machine. I see that for you. Yeah, we're definitely in the season. It's so, it's such an amazing season. And it's also so full and so demanding where there are moments where I'm like, am I going to get back my like mojo the way I had it before I had babies? Oh, oh. And it is like, and and I will say now, I think because I like I worked all through my kids being little too like I've always worked um that that having just that piece of work but also like I get to pick them up every day for school and I I take them to school every day and they see my face when they get in the car you know like Mm -hmm. having that balance of those things like it just like pushes you forward so much faster and your ability to like focus like and get work done when you when they're at school I mean like I said like I'm like oh that's like my fourth call today right because like from eight o'clock when they're at school like I'm a machine and Mm -hmm. then at three o'clock I'm a fun mom yeah Yeah. like that's what's coming for you and I think when you have all your priorities in order and you're intentional and you know what your future aspirations are like it just gets so easy to be motivated Mm, it's not hard anymore and and that's like you're already there but it's just like you're just getting started and I love it and I'm just going to keep watching and watching like I'm excited for you guys oh Mm -hmm. my gosh thank you well we're so grateful that you were here and I'm so glad I met you I'm such a believer people don't come into your life by accident and I feel like you also like really ignited this like fire in me too to like look further into adoption um so it's just amazing how the people you meet and their stories can touch you and move you and um inspire you to take action that like I think about like in the future when we're a family of three or four like if we have more biologically and adopting and all the things like how that ties back to like meeting you and fempowered and I think about how I met Sam Joy 
And it's just so, I met her on Instagram. Like, I just, I'm like, what? Like, I just think about all these things in life. Mutual midwife, right? Through our midwife, because I was pregnant. And then I think about my daughter. I'm like, had we not gotten this amazing surprise pregnancy with our daughter, I wouldn't have been looking for a midwife. And I wouldn't have researched the midwives um, referrals who had used her, who was Samantha. And then I'm like, whoa, like you could tie everything back. And you're like, life is amazing. Like, there's no coincidences it's just so wild it's right like gary v says that like seven billion people need to like reassess what they think success is success mm. is waking up every day and being excited about your freaking life one mm-hmm. life like one chance no dress rehearsal no do-over like this yeah. is it mm-hmm. so good what, so good. what are you gonna wow. do with it mm. Wow. Well, thank you so much for being here, Melissa. We appreciate you. Um, how can people f- follow you? Want to drop like your Instagram or best way? Sure. Uh, so coach mama bear is, um, is my, my page because you know, I'm a coach and I'm a mama bear. So that's Good. my page. And that's where I am most of the time on Instagram. You can follow my crazy life and stories there and see my boys fishing and swimming and the crazy. You're, you're a fun follow for sure. I love it. Um, so I'll put that in the show notes so people can click that. Anything else on your heart you want to leave our listeners with? No, one life. What are you going to do with it? That's mm. So good. What are you going to do with it? Heck Thank yeah. you so much for being here. We adore you. Thank you, Melissa. So great to connect. <laughs> Bye. Only those that can see the invisible can do the impossible. So remember, you are magnetic. Magnetic.